Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey listeners, this episode with Joe Alessi was recorded earlier this year, and as you'll hear, he was dealing with some stuff at the time, so I caught up with him recently for an update, and you'll hear that right after my original conversation with him. Ask any trombone player in the world who the best is, and they'll say Joe Alessi. He's the longtime principal trombonist of the New York Philharmonic and prodigious teacher at the Juilliard School. His sound, technique, and power have been the gold standard since he arrived in New York nearly 30 years ago. But recently, he faced and overcame a challenge that would make him imagine his life without the trombone. I knew something wasn't right, and I just went to bed just disillusioned. I could not play a note. You're listening to Speaking Soundly, the podcast that explores the art of artistry. I'm your host, David Krause, principal trumpet of the Metropolitan Opera. As a musician in New York City, I get to perform with some of the world's greatest artists every night. During each episode, you'll hear me speak with these inspiring performers as we lift the veil on talent to hear about their process and the personal journey that led them to the stage. Maybe just a month ago, we sat side by side playing Gershwin's Porgy and Bess at the Met. You came in at the very last minute for a player of ours that was out sick. You hadn't played the opera before. You hadn't rehearsed the opera with us, but you came in and just knocked it out of the park. It was really stellar. And it was a pleasure to have you sitting there on first trombone. What was the experience like for you? Well, number one, it was a thrill of a lifetime to play next to you and your colleagues. As you know, my parents were, were there. Your dad was a trumpet player at the Opera House, and your mom also sang at the Met. Yes, in the 50s. And my father started trumpet with his father, who also taught at Manhattan School of Music and also played at the Met. What was it like growing up in such a musical family? Yeah, today, matter of fact, I was going through some old uh, recordings, and I found a recital I did back uh, in the San Francisco area. That's where I grew up. And sometimes I would have my mother sing on uh, 
a, a recital, you know, just to give me a, a break. So she sang uh, one of the arias from Borgie and Bess, matter of fact. So to be around a professional singer and a good one and the importance of my father's teaching, uh, I, of course, while I was studying with him, I just, you know, he was my father. So I just did what he told me to do, but it wasn't until later that, you know, I realized, Hey, this guy had a huge career in New York city. He played at the, in radio city. He played at the Met and, uh, who knows what else he did. I wish I could have picked his brain more, but yeah. So being around a, a wonderful Fraser and singer and, and then being around a real brass technician who knew the embouchure. So I was just lucky. I had all that going on around the house every single day. There was trumpet students coming through the house, the 30 minute lessons. And so I would get to hear all these students. Some of them were good and some of them really struggled. You know, my dad was kind of old school. So, uh, sometimes he, he insult somebody who wasn't doing well. And when you were younger, what was your relationship to practice? My, my dad wanted me to practice. You know, if you want to be good, you got to practice at something. And, and then, you know, maybe I went through, through a period where I wasn't practicing and he, all he had to do was say, uh, you know, you're not practicing a lot these days. I guess that, that's okay. If you don't want to practice, that's fine. You know, so it was guilt with you, but wrath with his, his students. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he was a gentle guy generally, but you know, sometimes you'd be have a tough lesson studying with your father. There's a lot of emotions. And after a while, I, I would just, you know, couldn't take it. Uh, so he had to send me to uh, a respected freelance trombone teacher. So in the beginning it was fine, but he started button heads. Right. You know, one thing that always strikes me about your playing is that it always comes off as effortless. I'm wondering if it was always like that. So no, it's, it was a definite process and learning process. And to be honest, I try to continue to do that. I would say there's, there's been periods of time that feel easier, you know, and there's periods of time that it's more difficult. And I hate those times when it's more difficult actually, you know what, after I saw you and I played with the Met a week later. I was at Juilliard and, uh, all of a sudden my right ear just shut down. I said, you know, wow, I must have a ear infection. And then it got worse and, and uncomfortable. I kept playing that week and it was very difficult for me. I had to play the concert the next day and I knew something wasn't right. It was horrible. Something was not right here with my face. The, about the feeling of, of the way you're playing. Yes. And I was playing with this, this ear that was partially shut down and it was just a God awful feeling. And, and I just went to bed, just disillusioned. And, uh, the next morning I, I just said, okay, I'm going to try playing again. I could not play a note. I could not play a note since that time, which is Thanksgiving to, to now I've gone through hell. Okay. Wow. And, and so I basically, what I had was a shingles attack in my ear. Mm -hmm. But right here, coming out of your ear are cranial nerves, right? So they were all messed up from the attack. And basically, I had Bell's palsy. Man, I thought that was it. I thought, you know, I'll never be able to play again. What was that feeling like, that realization that that might be a possibility? I looked at my life and I said, you know what? If I can't play again, I've had a great life and I have a great life. 
So I kind of had to deal with that in my mind and think, you know, do I need the trombone to be me? And my family was saying, you don't. My daughter said, you know, you're a great dad. And my wife was amazing. And, and so I just went to the people that I count on the most and really had had their help and support and a lot of friends as well. But others went through this, I found out. My friend, Daniele Mordini, who plays first trombone at La Scala, he called me around Christmas just to say hello. And I told him what was going on. And uh, he, he said, Joe, you won't believe this, but I had exactly the same thing you had. And he said, listen, you got to call this doctor in Spain who I've been working with. And so that's what I did, Dr. Rosette. And uh, he said, okay, I think you're going to get out of this because I got all the medical treatment early, you know, and that's very important when you go through something like this. But I started doing the thera therapeutic sessions. You're talking about regaining the musculature in order to play the trombone. Right. Well, I was told that the muscles are still there. Uh, oh, the nerves. The nerves are not uh, are not connected to these muscles in the same way that they, they were. But what you're doing, it's probably muscular as well because these, these muscles are not being used. Yeah, they atrophy. Yeah. So it was just paralysis on this side. And um, I also got a tuba mouthpiece because Doc Severson went through facial paralysis as well. He had the Bell's palsy. And I was told that he used a, a tuba mouthpiece. So I remember the first day, and this is before I started working with the doctor, you know, I just used the tuba mouthpiece and I was able to make a seal and, and, you know, actually buzz little things. And I was quite impressed that, that, wow, you could actually do this on a tuba mouthpiece and make it work. Just because you have the room there because the tuba mouthpiece is bigger. It seals everything. There's enough over the problem area that it seals everything up. So, so at that point, as far as you producing any sound, you're talking about going from someone who is blind to all of a sudden maybe seeing a, a spot. Yeah. And just chasing this little thing, which has now resulted in a full recovery. Yeah, I did everything I could. I did acupuncture. Um, Daniele, my friend, says, you know, I'm going to continue to do these exercises. Well, he's a month ahead of me, but he, he feels that he's playing better than he's ever played before. It, How fortunate that you have someone uh, just who plays the I, same instrument as you a month ahead of you to follow. That's, that's really something else. Flabbergasted. That. Yeah, that, that's, that's really amazing. I'm so happy to hear that it has a happy ending. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I want to talk a little bit about your teaching. What can't you teach a student? Ooh, that's a, that's a very good question. Well, you have to have something special in your, in your playing. That special thing is what you have to teach. Sometimes it's hard to teach that because a student is a bit conservative or they don't want to try things outside of the, the box or they don't feel it the same way that I feel it. Music is a feeling. I, when I, when I listen to music, I get a certain feeling and emotion. And sometimes you try to bring those things into your own playing uh, as it relates to dynamics or maybe the way that you, you know, arrive at a note, it sparkles. And sometimes those things are hard to teach. It, it has to come from the person inside. That's the hard 
thing to teach. You know, how do you explain to the person what I feel? And sometimes they don't understand how to do it. So they want to be told, you know, do this, do that. And that works up to a certain point, but to, to be in that special elite group of players where you can walk in and play in an audition and wow, that person is special. It's really hard to, to teach what is inside them uh, and, and teach them that spark, you know, find, try to find that spark so they can have the confidence to do that. How does one be more special inside? It really comes down to singing and listening. I was so inspired to listen to uh, jazz players. You know, J.J. Johnson was a huge, huge part of my upbringing. I was so excited about just singing along, and I still do. If I hear J.J. Johnson or a very famous Clifford Brown solo, just sing along. Matter, matter of fact, in the beginning of the pandemic, I would put on my, my wireless headphones and walk around the neighborhood on a sunny day and everything. It's great to be alive and listen to Clifford Brown. Not all students have that feel. Sometimes I'll ask my students, what inspires you and who inspires you? You know, maybe a violinist or something like that. Find something that really you just go nuts about and then simply copy that. Play along with that recording. See if you can become that musician. I remember when Pavarotti, all his London records came out. I remember going down I-95 singing as loud as I could with Pavarotti's uh, recordings and trying to, I was trying to be Pavarotti because I, I just said, man, this is the most amazing inspiration. You know, so I've, I've always been like that. I've been very, very excited to hear things like that and almost want to be that person. Are you getting that same kind of connection to the music night after night that you're playing or sometimes is it just the job? Yeah. After a while, it feels like a job, I think for most of us, you know, but really isn't either because there's the times where trombone players, we rest a lot, you know, we sit there. Mm-hmm. That's really as, as enjoyable to me as playing, because when you're playing, your mind is thinking you're, you're, you know, there's a lot of functions going on in your head. There's so many things that you have to process and, and uh, you enjoy it. It's, it's, it's because you want to make it the best that you can make it, but sitting there and, not playing too and listening to the strings play and all the, all these things that happen, all these great melodies and how our orchestra plays it and watching my colleagues there now, you know, they're thinking over time and they're trying to make everything perfect. And, and uh, so it's a, it's a team effort. And to watch that night after night is really fascinating. I'm enjoying myself, but I'm, I'm also just trying to do what, do what I'm supposed to be doing. Speaking of doing it well, you've been doing it well at the New York Philharmonic for more than 30 years, right? You started when? 80? 85. And throughout your tenure there, you, you have played solo a lot in front of the orchestra. Do you enjoy playing solo even more than playing in the back of the orchestra? Because you've done it quite a lot. You know, that's a, another great question. Man, you asked a good <laughs> I would say I like both. I'm spoiled. I, I've got to do it a number of times. It's hard to imagine one without the other. When you're playing a new work of a living composer, do you have a sense of responsibility to bring that composer's vision to life? And where do you fit into that? So when you premiere a new piece, there is no recording of it that you can reference 
you're the first interpreter of the piece. And it's a huge responsibility, but I think most composers will, good, good ones will leave you alone because they don't want to influence you. They would like you to come up with your version of it. Let's take the Chick Corea piece. This is a piece that was written for you since then the composer passed away. Where does your sense of musicianship and your experience fit into that? Is there a line there that you have to thread? Hmm. Well, I I did get to work with Chick Corea and, and, and go down and play for him. And, and he did talk about the meetings that we had. He got a good feeling about it. relationship. We had some things in common, which was cool. I think my job is to obviously play everything he wrote, but also have fun with it. Uh, I don't want to sound like a classical player playing the piece. I do want to have it loose enough that it's idiomatic of what he wrote, the style. And also there's some uh, free-blowing things. The piece starts off with no music. You just, you just play, okay? You just improvise. He talked about that. He said, you know, I'm going to start this piece off just by yourself. And I said, great. And he said, you know, do you want me to write it out? And said, no. And there, so there's no, there's no chord changes. There's nothing. It's literally a blank piece of paper. You're walking out on stage. Yeah, free improvisation. At that moment, before you go out on stage and do that, you've got the performance. Maybe you're a little nervous. Where do you go to in your head to pull something out of thin air? Well, sometimes when I pick something up and, and do it for the first time, it's the best that I could do it, you know? So right. my mind is not thinking too much. I'm just doing it through ear and through osmosis. And I'm just kind of enjoying myself and I'm able to venture out. It's when you try to study it sometimes that it really goes badly, you know? So, so yes, when I'm warming up in the dressing room, I might try a few things, but you know what? I just leave it alone and say, you know, I'll just figure it out when I'm out there. And that's when it goes the best. I could talk to any trombone player on the street, in the concert hall, in the practice room, and they will say what they love about what you can do on a trombone. I'm curious, Joe, what do you love about the trombone? Well, it's the closest brass instrument to the human voice. Number two, when you put a bunch of trombone players together, it's an awesome sound. I love the chamber music togetherness of, of the instrument and of course its ability to cross over uh, very nicely to jazz i think those things in particular i i just love and here's the update from when i recently spoke with joe so joe it's been about eight or nine months since we last spoke and i wanted to get an update on your life and on your playing since your bout with bell's palsy so can you talk to me about life after this experience i'm really happy to say that i'm just back to where I was. And some things are better, to be honest. I think from starting over again, I gained some flexibility and maneuvering. I'm very happy about that. By the time you were diagnosed to when you worked on it and started to regain everything, how long until you felt like you were 100% or as you say, 110%? Yeah. Well, uh, January 2nd is when I started to play again. So this is after doing all the facial exercises that the doctor recommended. I did them daily and it kind of just reawoken all, is that a word reawoken? Probably not. It is now. <laughs> anyway, uh, everything just started to wake up after doing those exercises. And I think by 
the second week I started playing, I was making pretty quick progress. By April, I was already performing and back at the Philharmonic. So it turned out, you know, terrific. Uh, just maybe a, a month ago, I was in Japan doing this Chick Korea thing. And I, I have to say it was a real highlight in my career. Everything just felt amazing. I walked out of there. I don't want to say I was going to cry, but I was so happy. It was an emotional experience to be able to come back from that. And actually now when I play, I'm just so appreciative of playing because I know the feeling that that day when I couldn't play and how horrible it was. So when I warm up now, I'm like, wow, I'm reborn almost, you know, as a player. Uh, I know that sounds crazy, but that's really what it is. Not at all. And I wish everybody can see the look on your face, even as you're describing that moment. Well, yes. I mean, I, I really dodged a bullet because I was reading all the cases. And it was when you go online and you read about the cases and the people who don't come back, uh, it's pretty scary. Let me ask you, in your personal life as you're going through this, did you have a pretty positive mindset throughout this or did it fluctuate? There were some real dark days, that's for sure. Oh, I was very upset. And my wife, Kathy, really kept me going through all that. The whole process went very slowly at first. You know, like maybe there was a day where I felt, wow, I'm, I'm going to get out of this. And then it would just go downhill again, you know. But it could go back up. And it was reaching a new plateau every five days or so. And uh, uh, that was very encouraging. So you figured it out, you stuck with the program, and now you're in a better place than you were. If you would have guessed how you would have reacted to an experience like this, would you have bet on yourself coming out the way you did? Not really. I mean, because I, I just didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I was prepared to resign from the orchestra and, and just call it a day. You know, I, I, I didn't really know where I was going to end up. Everybody was telling me that I'm going to come out of it. I think my way to be positive about it was not to worry about it. Eventually, I just said, whatever happens, happens. And, and I took walks. Thank God I could continue teaching my students at Juilliard. And that was interesting because I didn't, couldn't use the trombone to teach. I had to do it through words. And I found that I became a better teacher from that. It doesn't surprise me that you're even better than you were Talking to you, it's like watching those Terminator movies. Like every one that comes out is bigger and stronger than the next one. <laughs> so looking forward, um, I know when you get back to the Philharmonic, you're going to have a new home. David Geffen Hall has been under construction. And when you go back there, it'll look different and sound quite different. Are you excited about the renovations happening to the yes. home of the New York Philharmonic? They're setting the, the stage right now with our chairs, our new chairs for the musicians and these are brand new chairs and only a musician can get excited about a new chair <laughs> like that i totally hear you now, these are the latest and greatest chairs they're fully adjustable and you can pump yourself up or down um so anyway on tuesday night i travel down to new york and i'll be in the rehearsals to try out the hall i'm really looking forward to that so well after 35 years you not only have a new home to do it in but a new and improved face to do it on i just couldn't imagine a better chapter in your career mm -hmm. to be embarking on i'm so excited for you yeah 
I mean, this is amazing uh, things to to say at this point for myself. And I'm going to move forward now and, and just continue with my career in a sort of a more appreciative way. Every time I pick up that horn, I'm just rejuvenated. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Speaking Soundly. Be sure to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up on future episodes, follow me on Instagram at David Krause Trumpet and go to our website, artfulnarrativesmedia.com, for show notes, links, and information on all of our guests. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist speaking soundly. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.